Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Caleb McDuffie, and uh, I am do student ministry here at Grace. And one of the cool things about our church is that not only do they have me doing student ministry, but our pastors are also training and equipping me for a life of ministry. And so today, uh, they're giving me the opportunity to preach, give me some experience. And so I am excited to be here. Um, I'm excited, but I'm a little bit nervous. So, you, you know, bear with me here. Um, but we've recently finished our season of Advent, uh, where we, we celebrated the first coming of Jesus, and we uh, celebrated our anticipation of his second coming. And so today, uh, we actually are going to talk about what it looks like to live a life in anticipation of waiting for his return. So uh, our passage is in Hebrews 11, chapter, starting in verse 39. Um, and as we read our passage, or before we read our passage, I'd like for you to consider these two questions for the day, and I want you to consider them uh, honestly and earnestly. Um, and the first is this. Do you believe that God has prepared a place in heaven for his people out of love or obligation? Has he prepared a place for his people out of love or obligation? And the second is this. If you live a life of faith and obedience to God, do you do so out of love or obligation to him? I want you to be honest with it when you're answering these questions, um, and we'll read our passage for today, starting in verse 39 of chapter 11. It said, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from the sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you and worship today, and we thank you for your word, and we ask that you open our hearts to it, that we might know of your great love for us and live accordingly. And pray that you guide my words today, and that it might be honoring to you and at work in all of us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, I ask you to consider two questions before we read our passage today. And for the first question, um, which was, do you believe that God has prepared a place in heaven for us out of love or obligation? I really hope we came to a quick conclusion that God prepares places in heaven for his people out of love for us. Uh, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And it, wherever you're at, we all need to know that God has no obligation towards any of us because of our rebellion against him. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It is in our nature to reject God. So he has no obligation towards any of us, even the best of us. He saves us because he loves us. And the second question, uh, which was, do you live faith and in, in faith and obedience to God out of love or obligation— that one might actually be a little bit more tricky for us. Um, but it actually highly relates to uh, 
verse 2 of our passage today, which talks about a race that we're all running. This race is the life of faithfulness, and it's not a short-distance sprint, but a marathon that we run with endurance. Um, And our sin and our shame keep us from running that race well. Running athletes and swimmers know how important it is to wear lightweight and sleek clothing when racing, right? If you wear, you know, baggy clothing and heavy clothing, it just burns excess energy and it slows you down and you're not running very well when you do that. Now, I ran track in middle school and I remember on the first day, uh, some kid showed up in jean shorts and sneakers and he did not run his best race that day. And disobedience and sin are like jean shorts, right? You're not running your best race in jean shorts and when you're living in sin, you can't run the life, the, the race of life as Scripture calls us to. And we're called to run the race of life faithfully with endurance, setting our eyes on Jesus. But if the race is more like a marathon, then our motivation for running to the best of our ability is so important. So in answering that second question, you know, some of us might be able to say that we try to live faithfully to God out of a genuine love and appreciation for Him. But many people see Christians living out their faith, and they assume that it's out of obligation. Or they assume that it's out of guilt and shame. And if you're like me, there's sometimes a little bit of truth to that. Sometimes we do end up living our life uh, faithfully out of more of an obligation or a feeling of guilt, right? Now, of course, we're certainly supposed, you know, we are obligated to be obedient to God, right? He is our creator. He is God. Uh, he does have authority over us. But God created us to be more than just obedient robots. He actually wants our hearts, right? And if we are to run with endurance, then our hearts do need to be in it. Now, you might like to say that you live a life faithfully out of love um, for our Father, but oftentimes that's just not the case. Instead, we feel obligated out of, you know, it's fueled by guilt and shame. Now, many of us here might actually be in church today because of this feeling of obligation. And if that's you, then my hope is that by looking at this passage together, uh, we, might, we might find that faithfulness in all aspects of life can be a joy to us rather than a burden. My hope is that we might ask the question how we are blessed by living faith, with faithful endurance um, and persevering in faithful living, and that we might be encouraged and motivated by the answers we find so that we can cast off the burdens that we sometimes feel uh, to be obedient to God. Now, to give some necessary context and background information about our text for today, uh, I want to briefly summarize what was talked about in chapter 11. Now, he briefly uh, summarizes basically the heroes of the Old Testament and their faith, right? He, you know, examines the faith of Noah building an ark in preparation for an event that was warned of by God, yet unheard of by man. And we looked at the faith of Abraham, preparing to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, um, faith, you know, faithfully believing that God would somehow stay true to his promises to him. And the faith of Moses, for identifying with his people rather than the Pharaoh's daughter, and thus being mistreated with the people of God rather than escaping the abuse uh, by abandoning his people. And also the faith of the Israelites to cross the Red Sea and escape the Egyptian army and the faith of Rahab, the prostitute, by which uh, she did not perish because she uh, welcomed the Israelite spies. 
These are just a few of the people of the Old Testament that are mentioned in chapter 11. And then we come to the last two verses of the chapter in the beginning of our passage today, which says, And all these people, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? And confusing. The author goes on and on about these people of the Old Testament and their faithful people, and then he ends it by saying that they didn't receive what was promised. Why not? And is that even true? You know, didn't Noah and his family survive the flood? Didn't, didn't Abraham, wasn't, didn't God stop Abraham from sacrificing his son and provided another sacrifice for him? You know, didn't the Israelites escape the abuse and the oppression of Egypt and eventually get to the promised land? You see, in the Bible, there is a pattern of promises of the Old Testament being fulfilled in some way soon after they were given, and then being fulfilled in even greater ways than we could have possibly imagined in the New Testament. So even though these hearers of the Old Testament might be able to point to where God was faithful to his promises to them, there was even greater faithfulness to come. In verse 39, the promise, which is not yet received, could be described as God's greater fulfillment of those promises um, by building for us a better heavenly city. This is the same promise that God gives us today, and this is the first reason for why we are to be persevere in faithfulness. It's because the promise that he's given us is worth persevering for. It's worth it. Um, We do not persevere in faithful living because we have to earn what God has promised us, uh, but rather we do it out of expectation for the grace that he's promised us. He's promised a heavenly land for us, and, you know, where we'll be perfected and in perfect relationship with God and one another, a place where there's no more sin and destruction, but only joy and love. We can endure suffering and hardship today and avoid the temptations of sin for, what, for the joy for what is to come. We look forward to that joy of what is to come. As some of you may know, uh, my wife and I, Jessica, we recently got a puppy. Uh, his name's Goober, and he's a golden doodle, and he's, he's really adorable. Uh, and dogs are just great pets. They're so loving, and they're loyal, and if you train them, they're, they're well-behaved and obedient. But some of you, you know, some of you maybe know the struggle of owning a puppy. Some of you know that it can be very frustrating at first. Frankly, puppies are horrible, okay? They come to your house, and they're not potty trained. So you're cleaning up their business all over the house. And they're teething, so they're constantly chewing on everything, including you, and they're just, they don't listen at all. They don't know what you're saying, and so they're always getting into trouble. And I knew this. I have an older dog as well, um, and Jessica knew this. Uh, but and we still gladly went and got this new puppy, knowing how much frustration it would bring to us. But why? It's because we had our eyes set on the end result. A well-trained, loyal, and loving golden doodle. And we're certainly not there yet. Goober is a mess. But we don't abandon him. We continue to love him. We continue to care for him and train him and have an abundance of patience with him as he grows up because we're excited for the dog that we know he'll be in about a year. 
Now, persevering in faith is often the same way. At times, it can be really uncomfortable. Um, and at times, you'll likely have to, you'll be called to endure suffering even greater than owning a, a chaotic puppy. Yeah, puppies are so awful, right? <laughs> at times, we'll be called to suffer more than owning a puppy. Um, at times, faithful living means having self-control. It, it means having peace with those that you consider your enemies. It means having integrity when abandoning integrity uh, could greatly benefit you. But we persevere in faith because we can trust in and look forward to the promise of God that he'll provide a better heavenly city for us. A faithful living can be done joyfully, even in suffering, because of our hope in God's promise, the same promise that he gave to Noah and to Abraham and to Moses. This faithful living doesn't just apply to our avoidance of specific sins that we so often want to make it out to be. It also applies to how we go about our lives, you know, how we parent our children, how we honor our parents, you know, how we work faithfully, how we serve faithfully, how we represent Christ to our neighbors boldly and faithfully. In these ways, we share in the same faith as those people of the Old Testament, those hearers of the Old Testament, and we await with them the heavenly place that God has promised for us, that we might live in a world without sin and, and destruction in perfect faithfulness to God. Now here at Grace, we talk often about how we live in the already, not yet. And this promised heavenly kingdom is the not yet portion that we await for. But the not yet portion isn't the only reason we have for persevering in faithfulness. The second reason we have, um, we find in verse 2 of chapter 12, which is, refers to the already portion. Uh, we persevere in faithfulness because Christ has founded and perfected our faith. He's the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. But what does this mean? The life of Christ, even as a child, was the first human example of perfect and obedient faith. The first and only, I should say. Thus, he's the founder and he's the perfecter of our faith as well. The word perfecter here means bringing about a successful conclusion. In other words, Jesus, by his faithful obedience in life and in death, he has obtained perfect righteousness for all those who would have, had, who would have faith in him. Now, our successful conclusion here is perfect righteousness. Perfect righteousness. Um, he paid the price for our sins. And he could only do that because he had no sins of his own to pay for. And in this, we see the real and personal love of God towards his people. The one faithful person to live on this earth, who is God's one and only son, he sacrificed in order to make imperfect people like us perfectly acceptable, so that we might be with him in the heavenly kingdom that is to come. And he has already done this. This is the already portion this is actually history that we look back on. Our faithful living couldn't possibly earn what Jesus has already accomplished. But rather, our faithfulness to God flows out of a response to the love that he's already shown us through his son. Now, my dad is a loving father. Uh, he's cared for me and my siblings so well. He's shown us love in so many ways. But one, one great example of the way that he has shown love to us um, is when my sister turned 16. When you turn 16, you can get your license, and my sister got her license, and my dad searched for, and he finally found a, a new, well, it was a used car, but it was new to us, 
Um, and it was a great car. He worked hard to find it, and he brought my sister to the dealership and bought it with her. And then he handed her the keys, and then he watched her drive out of the parking lot of the dealership and wreck it into two other cars. And she totaled the brand new car and another car. And many fathers in this situation, perhaps understandably, understandably would be really frustrated. They'd be angry. And a lot of fathers would hold this over their head forever. But my dad didn't, wasn't mad, he wasn't angry, he wasn't disappointed. He was actually just glad that she was okay. She was unscratched. Um, that was his primary concern. And this is just the one example of the great love that my dad and my mom has shown all of us. Um, but when we were kids, when we were just kids, we, you know, my dad and my mom, they taught us right from wrong, and we had rules that we had to follow, and we didn't really have a choice in the matter. They were the authority over us, right? So we just kind of had to do what they said. But as we grew older in middle school and in high school, uh, we began to have more freedom. We could have tried to rebel against the way that our parents had raised us, but we didn't. It was because of our dad's love for us that my siblings and I love and respect him. Not because he's just our father and he's just an authority figure over us and that we're obligated to obey him, but rather because we love and respect him and take joy in pleasing him. We don't like displeasing him. Now, our love and respect for him flowed out of first knowing and experiencing his love for us in great ways. Now, how much more is the love of our Heavenly Father that he would sacrifice his one and only faithful son for us. God loved us, so I love him. God so loved the world that the world should love him. I want to live my life following God's ways out of the love that he first showed me. The point here is we're, we're not called to love uh, and follow and be faithful to an angry and disappointed father but rather one that loves us dearly and has shown us this love through the most extreme of actions. We're simply called to reflect love back to him, and we do this by our faithful obedience towards him. But where do we look for an example of faithful disobedience? Well, we've already said it. Christ is the perfect example of faithfulness. Throughout his short ministry on earth, uh, he trusted his Father's will. He experienced the love of his Father and he expressed that love to those around him. And we can and we should look to Jesus' whole life to learn what faithful obedience looks like. But right now I just want to point out one part that's in our passage today, uh, which is him dying on the cross. Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, uh, endured the cross, despising the shame. Now, living faithfully in this moment for Jesus was not easy. It was, it was full of pain and shame, uh, but he did it anyways. He was faithful anyways. Why? For the joy that was set before him. And what was this joy that was set before him? It was you. He knew what it would accomplish. It would accomplish uh, perfection for us so that we could be with him in the heavenly city. The pain and the shame that Jesus experienced on the cross and in the grave is greater than anything we'll ever have to experience. But he persevered through it faithfully because of the joy that was set before him, which was you. 
Jesus persevered faithfully not out of obligation for us, but out of love for us. As followers of Christ, our lives should be lived in faithfulness to God out of love rather than obligation. We too can keep our eyes on the joy that is set before us, uh, which is the heavenly city that God promised to us. We can remember what God has already done for us through his Son so that we can live a life of joyful faithfulness out of love for our Savior. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have brought us to know you and your Son by your Spirit and Word. Grant us that we, having received Jesus Christ the Lord, may live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in faith and overflowing with thankfulness. Grant us your peace through Jesus Christ. Amen.